Well, it's a real privilege to be here today, and I'm thankful to Pastor Dave for the invitation and thankful for John's hospitality. It is when Dave asked me, what a a privilege after all these years for John and I to lead worship together. Now this summer, Pastor Dave has led you in a series on Jesus' follow me statements. And then a three-week series on being sent, the 12, the 72, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Last week, Daryl preached on the call of Moses and Moses' response, send somebody else and her invitation, perhaps we could respond differently by saying, yes, Lord. Today, I want to look at two biblical people and follow on this whole series of sent. I want to look at the Apostle Paul and Timothy. Now, I don't believe the Apostle Paul needs an introduction, and to try to give an introduction to the Apostle Paul, we'd be here into the afternoon. But perhaps Timothy does need an introduction. Timothy came from Asia Minor, from towns uh, near Derby and Lystra. He was the son of a Greek father and of a Jewish mother. And we know from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. Now they perhaps became believers when Paul made his first missionary journey. But they had taught Timothy the Old Testament scriptures, and they were looking for the Messiah. Now I've entitled this message, Pass It On. A second thought I had was leaving a legacy. And I think it's significant that Paul gives a shout out to a grandmother and a mother. He names them. And I chose our first scripture today because of what it said. Did you hear? So that you and your children and your children's children may worship the Lord your God all the days of your life. Now, I'm always sad when I hear parents or children say, my parents said, in fact, I just heard this a month ago, I'm letting them choose their own religion. I don't want to force anything on them. Now, there are times I get into some discussion with parents and say, so you don't make them brush their teeth, you don't make them go to bed early in the evening, you didn't make them go to school, because you wouldn't want to force anything on them. Now, intentional Christian parenting is not forcing, but rather it's providing opportunities and experiences that give exposure to the gospel. As a Reformed church, every time you baptize a child, we take vows. Do you promise to tell this child the good news of the gospel to help them know all that Christ commands and by your fellowship to strengthen their ties with the household of God? And we answer, we do. You notice what that vow is? That's a reiteration of Deuteronomy. We're going to pass on the faith. And notice that that is a promise for a lifetime. I'm still fulfilling that promise that the church took for you when you were baptized. Now, the question I think that has to be asked for parents is, what are you doing that needs to be continued to pass the faith? What needs to be strengthened? What needs to be changed? And the question for your church is, how can you support and affirm parents, children, grandchildren? What do you need to say yes to to increase the ministry to children and families? Now, you're going to see an announcement listed. Those who received your church email heard of an announcement. 
It read that you are going to be a site for the Legacy Grandparenting Summit on October 21 and 22. It's held in Birmingham, Alabama, but it is broadcast to 100 sites, and you are one of those sites. You'll be able to see it right up there. It provides vision and strategy to help grandparents have a greater spiritual impact. Now, you have two very proud grandparents here today, in Dale and Wendy Ridenauer. And Wendy and Dale would love to tell you about this grandparenting because they're the people that brought it to Dave and they're the people who are very much excited. And so I want you to know that opportunity because as grandparents, and I'm one of those, uh, we could always use more strategies and more inspiration. Now I want to look at what Paul has to say and his instruction to Timothy. Now, in most Bibles, if you opened your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3, you would see Paul's charge to Timothy. But this is really a charge to all Christ's followers. Listen to God's word as we see it in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 10, 11, and then 14 to 17. Now you have observed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and my suffering. And then Paul goes on to describe all his suffering. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, did you hear that text? Notice what Paul emphasizes. You have observed my teaching, i.e., you've heard what I say. You've observed my conduct, my manner of life. You ever heard the comment, I can't hear what you're saying because I see what you're doing? What we say must be lived out in what we do. And then Paul talks about my aim in life, my direction, my mission. What is your mission? What is our mission? Do we know what our mission is? Paul said, you've observed my teaching, my conduct, my vision, my aim in life. You know my faith, which has been lived out in real life. You know my patience. Now, Paul will have told us in Philippians 4, I have learned. He wasn't a patient man to begin, but he says, I've learned. But he says, you've observed my steadfastness, my patience. You've observed my love. It's been visibly demonstrated. You've observed my steadfastness, my persistence, my focus. You've seen my persecutions. But what Paul is emphasizing here is not that he was persecuted, but the way in which he responded to persecution. Remember when he was in prison, what did they do? They sang hymns. And you've seen my sufferings, which Paul says has led to a deeper faith. You see, this word isn't just for church leaders. This is a word for parents, for grandparents. Five weeks ago, Nancy and I were staying with our grandchildren. We have seven and we were staying with the three youngest. We gave our son and his wife a weekend off. And those of you who are grandparents who have done that know that usually when you go 
help take care of grandchildren, it means sitting in your car and driving them, in this case to basketball tournaments, on a Friday night and Saturday driving from L.A. to Fullerton back. It meant my grandson and I had hours in the car. Now, my grandson has been well-trained by his parents and others, and he is very inquisitive, and so he asked me some questions, and there are two questions that I haven't been able to forget. The one question was this, Papa, who are the people who have formed you? Who are the people who have formed you? I'd ask you that same question. Who are the people who have had such an influence on your life that you've been transformed? John talked about doing CPE together. I did that at Presbyterian St. Luke's. I worked a heart floor. I today cannot walk into a hospital. I walked into one last week without remembering that training. It formed me. The first pastor I worked with formed me. Dr. Ball, I was 22 years old. He would leave for seven weeks in the summer, and I was in charge of a thousand-member church. I did that for six years. I still preach the way he taught me. Form me. I could name names from every church I've served, people who have made a profound difference in my life. Who has formed you? Paul says, but as for you, continue what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you've learned it. And what is the source? Paul says the scriptures, inspired by God and useful. Useful for teaching, showing us the truth. Useful for reproof, exposing our rebellion. Useful for correction, correcting our mistakes. Useful for training in righteousness, training us to love in God's way. Equipped for every good work. Put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. Now the second question my 15-year-old asked me was this. Papa, what verses have been most impactful in your life? What verses have been most impactful in your life? And one of them that I immediately thought of was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. That was the verse that informed me about the choice of going to college, guided me into ministry. It is a verse that led me to my wife Nancy 56 years ago. What verses have been most impactful in your life? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge God, and he will direct your paths. But as I listened to Daryl preach last week, I realized there's another verse that was very impactful. It's the passage she read. It's when God said to Moses, when Moses says to God, I'm not eloquent. You need to understand, I was born in a rural farm in New Jersey. I like to say I'm a hick from the sticks of Jersey. And when I felt God was calling me to ministry, this was the passage that changed my life because I found myself saying, I'm not eloquent. I was a mathematics major. What would a mathematics major do being a pastor? And then it was the verse that followed that got me, where God says this, Who made your mouth? I will be with you, and I will teach you what to say. And friends, I'm still relying on that today as I preach. 
impactful verses. Verses that have later changed my life for Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious about anything. But in prayer with supplication, make your request known unto God and the peace of God. The peace of God, which transcends all human understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's the verse that helped me 19 years ago get through the night before open heart surgery. What are the verses that have been impactful in your life? Paul says all scripture is useful for instruction, for training. Now the second section of this text that I want to read begins in chapter 4. And I want to read you the first five verses of this section from the message written by Eugene Peterson because I think it captures the essence of this text And then we'll look at verses 7 and 8 in the NRSV. Listen to God's word. I can't impress this on you too strongly. God is looking over your shoulder. Christ himself is the judge for the final say on everyone living and dead. He is about to break into the open with his rules. So proclaim the message with intensity. Keep on your watch. Challenge, warn, and urge your people. Don't ever quit. Just keep it simple. You're going to find that there will be times when people will have no stomach for solid teaching, but will fill up on spiritual junk food, catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. They'll turn their backs on truth and chase mirages. But you, keep your eye on what you're doing. Accept the hard times along with the good. Keep the message alive. Do a thorough job as God's servant. And then Paul concludes in verse 7 and 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. What a statement. Paul is really restating what he said in verses 10 through 17 of chapter 3. He's restating what the Shema said. But I love these words, be persistent. Whether the time is favorable or unfavorable, what a good reminder. Convince, challenge, rebuke, warn, encourage, urge. And I love these words, don't ever quit. Just keep it simple. This passage is often preached at ordinations, installations, but I think there are words to every person. It's a word to every parent, to every grandparent, to every aunt, uncle, neighbor, friend, Sunday school teacher, youth leader, employer, employee, yes, to pastors. Keep your eye on what you're doing. Keep balance. Accept the hard times along with the good. Hard times are a reality. Keep the message alive. How do you keep it alive in your own life, your personal faith? And then do a thorough job as God's servant. What a word. And then Paul concludes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now maybe I've watched too many Olympics. Any of you watch the Olympics or the Paralympics? What Paul is describing is not an individual race. What he's describing is a relay. Last night I got to see the 
Special Olympics race where you had four people, one partially sighted, one with some limb deformities, one with some mental, and then one in a wheelchair kind of bike. I don't know how, what you describe it. It felt like a chariot. And to watch the U.S. win that with these four different individuals, they tapped each other, passing it on. And what Paul is describing is saying, look, we are all called, beginning from the Shema, to pass it on to children's children's children. So as an individual, to whom are you investing your life? As a parent, as a grandparent, you're doing this with your children, your grandchildren? As a friend, as an employee, as an employer? Friends, a sobering thought, the Christian faith is always one generation away from extinction. My prayer for each of us is may we accept the gift of salvation offered in Jesus Christ. And as we accept it, may we grow in our relationship with the triune God, experiencing his love and his grace. May we follow Jesus. And may we faithfully, individually, and as a church, live out what we believe in all our circles of influence. Know you are called. You are sent. And may we pass it on to others, our children, our grandchildren, mentoring, encouraging, supporting. And when our time on earth draws to a close, may we be able to say with the Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Amen.